And could you just describe for people who don't know, like who Naval is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Naval is like a, I don't know, he's incredibly well valued in Silicon Valley. Um, so he went on to start AngelList and invest in Uber and Twitter and all these successful companies, and then get into crypto. And he's just this kind of American dream story of like immigrant turned wealthy, happy, like well followed, semi famous guy. I tweeted, if I wrote the book of Navalage, compiling like, you know, the best of Naval, are you interested? A few thousand were like, no, like, we want this, please. And uh, Naval was supportive and said, like, I'm happy to, you know, provide you the materials you need. It starts with just taking that leap. To work hard, you have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. Does it matter how badly you got beaten down? Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go through that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. My name's Eric Jorgensen. I am currently. I think an author and podcaster, though I am between chapters and figuring out what that means. Just wrapped up a like 10-year stint with a tech startup and looking for putting together my next few projects. I just want to preface by how I, I, I stumbled upon you. One of my friends, Mike, is currently living in Kyrgyzstan like following this group of nomadic people, staying in yurts, looking at stars, playing with goats. And he's having this incredible time. And still he finds time to read only, you know, the best books. We have like a, a, a weekly chat. He's like, Sam, I'm reading this book and I can't put it down. Even though I'm literally in these lush fields of Kyrgyzstan overlooking the most beautiful mountains, <laughs> I still cannot put down this book. And the book was the book that you wrote, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, which if you look through this, I've like marked up thoroughly. It is brilliant. And so I read it and now I've recommended it to a bunch of friends because I just think it's so amazing. And that is why I wanted to reach out to you because I'm like, who is the mastermind behind collecting all these amazing thoughts? So I want to understand a little bit about how this project started, because I understand that it was supposed to be like a couple months stint that turned into uh, a little bit more than that. So where were you when you had the idea um, or the inklings that you were going to start this project? Yeah, I, I was sort of, I was like hunting for my next big project. Um, and I kind of go in like side project cycles. And I had a few things I was kind of thinking about or seeds that were planted. And this idea just kind of like, grew out of my love for a specific episode that Naval did with Shane Parrish. I've been trying to get rid of this concept of having to be in a specific place at a specific time. Uh, you know, all I care about is, uh, am I doing what I want to do and am I being productive and am I happy? I, I really want to break away from this idea of 40-hour weeks or 60-hour weeks or 80-hour weeks or 9 to 5. Uh, it just all feels like a straitjacket. I thought it was just an amazing podcast 
Shane's a really thoughtful host and Naval is a great guest. And there were so many sort of pieces of wisdom in there that I I listened to it like two or three times. I was like, man, this is so good and could change so many lives. And can you just describe for people who don't know like who Naval is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Naval is like a I don't know, he's incredibly well valid in Silicon Valley. So when I was in school um, and like kind of meet, starting to meet like real deal people in Silicon Valley, they were like, go read Paul Graham and go read Venture Hacks. Uh, and Venture Hacks was the blog that Nivy and Naval had been writing. Um, so he went on to start AngelList and invest in Uber and Twitter and Postmates and like all these successful companies and then get into crypto. And he's just this kind of American dream story of like, immigrant turned wealthy, happy, like well-followed, semi-famous guy. He kind of like accomplished all the material and like social successes and it, it didn't find it as fulfilling as he had hoped it might be. And then embarked on this journey to like find more of the secrets of being a happy person and sharing that stuff too. And I want to kind of bring together the best of Noel and his lived experience and He's a really gifted writer and synthesizer of these ideas, and he's lived them all. So I thought it was, it was an amazing kind of project to consolidate all of this. So you had heard about him before, knew a bit about him, had like seen his tweets, had read his blog maybe. So what did you do? I, I tweeted uh, this idea to turn it into a book along with a pun for a title, which is a very half-assed way to initiate a potential project, um, and I do not recommend it. But it worked out for me because I had woke up to find that like Naval had retweeted this little poll, and five thousand people were what like, was, "Can you? What was what was the poll like? What, what what did it say?" If I wrote the book of Navalage, compiling like you know the best of Naval, are you interested? And I think that, I think because I was like tired and in the mood to amuse myself, the two options in the Twitter poll were shut up and shut up and take my money. And it was like two to one, shut up and take my money. But plenty, thousands of people wanted me to shut up, which is totally reasonable. But a few thousand were like, no, like we want this, please. And uh, Naval was supportive and said, like, I'm happy to you know provide you the materials you need. Wait, so... When you said that and then like you, you went to sleep and then it blew up in that moment, did you also realize that Naval had retweeted it? Or is that the moment where it really just skyrocketed? It was all like one realization. Like I saw his reply, his retweet and like 5,000 people all at once. And I was like, oh, I guess this is like a real project. Like no, no backing out now. Were you excited? Yeah, I was excited and like a little intimidated because I was kind of like, like my concept of it was like, oh, I'll just like duct tape some stuff together for like my little following and like a few hundred or a few thousand people will enjoy it. And like, I'll be done in three months and I'll move on to something else. And then with this sort of scale and buy-in, it was like instant scope creep. It was like, holy shit. Like, I don't know. I now feel like I have to build a comprehensive, like incredible, like thing and just raise my quality bar like way way up and so what did that pressure produce how did you even go about increasing the scope of what you initially thought to 
what it would become or and, and lay the foundation for for such an undertaking like this is it's only like you know 215 pages but it's compact with a lot of knowledge i mean and and i imagine it was much bigger before uh you got it down to these 200 pages so you know my original concept was like i'll pull the stuff that i already know is cool and like put it together for people who don't already know In this new context, I was like, oh, I basically am going to have to write like poor Charlie's Almanac for Naval. This is going to be like the comprehensive thing. Um, so I collected absolutely everything of like all the blog posts he's written, all the like articles written about him, all the transcripts of his like podcast appearances, all his tweet history. It was like 20,000 tweets. Um, I just tried to like put all this together, man. And it was like, how much information was that? Hundreds of sources, like well over a million words of source material. Oh my um, god! Yeah, it was a lot, and I just started like reading. Did you actually read through all of that? A lot of it you can listen to, so like the transcript stuff is like a little easier to listen than read. Like you can can go faster. Um, to, a lot of it I had listened to already. Um, like some of it you can tell pretty quick in an article or something. If you're like, oh, this is like not a, a good primary source. The whole project ended up taking like three years pretty much just like filtering and categorizing and starting to put stuff into buckets and like figure out like what's the best phrasing of each individual idea i mean obviously you're providing a lot of structure to this and you're making it you know something that you're proud of but i'm interested in the character that's created in your head of this person that you're diving so deeply into. But to create a book like that, you have to empathize with this person or at least start to. How did that character, like that Naval in your head or on your shoulder start to develop? And uh, and like, what did you notice about how you changed too? For sure, yeah. I mean, I definitely like could only have done this, like dedicated this amount of time and interest and attention to somebody who I wanted, I wanted in my head. This is an ad for Roundup for Lawns. It kills weeds down to the root without harming your lawn. It works on crabgrass, dandelions, clover. It works on weeds with names you can't even pronounce. It's Roundup for Lawns. When used as directed, always read and follow pesticide label directions. Right, like I wanted that Naval on my shoulder. I wanted him on my like mental board of directors, like however you think about it. I worked really hard to just be, to get out of the way, right? To like show my best interpretation and my best understanding without recontextualizing or without rephrasing things, but by using his original words as they were originally intended. Um, and, and I think a lot of authors, like especially like authors with a journalist background come in very like adversarial, you know, they are like, I'm going to write about this person and like, yeah, I'll tell their story, but I'm also going to opine like as the writer about their thoughts and contextualize things. And I tried really hard to just create the book I thought Naval would write if he sat down to write a book. And I think you did that, but I'm, I'm also curious about what changed within you. And, and this uh, maybe this isn't in the book, but in the process of writing this book, something I, I feel like there, there must have been some kind of transformation that happened. And I want to know if there's like this, a specific instance that you think you could point to where you were grabbing a cup of coffee or making a hard decision that the Naval on your shoulder popped up and says like, Hey, you got to do this. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, Was there a moment like that that you could think of? 
I mean, I'm definitely like applying ideas to the book as I'm writing it. Right. So one example is, um, there's a lot of stuff that got cut from the final book that wasn't, um, very evergreen. Like it wasn't timeless information. It would have been maybe relevant for the next five years or the next 10 years. And I worked hard to cut that because I kind of adopted some of the like long-term mindset that Naval instills. Um, I also, frankly, like working on the happiness section, like the happiness section is so focused on like acceptance and limiting desires. Just being cool with like things the way they are instead of like pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. Was there a moment where you had to do that? I'm a naturally like ambitious, hardworking person. And so like reading all this stuff about like, just chill, man, just like be happy with things the way they are. Just like accept it. I was kind of like, you're right. I don't have to finish this project. So I kind of like my pace slowed down a Working little bit. Weirdly there. Yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of bizarre, but I think it's, uh, I think it's good to like feel that and like kind of get in the flow of it. Get in the flow of just having a slower flow basically. Yeah, there's a difference between like reading a book and like becoming the book. When you are consuming, you can still like consume passively or you can consume actively. You know, if you're reading with a pen, if you're putting the book down and going to apply a lesson, like you can um, you can let ideas in or work harder to get those ideas into your your head and your life and your habits and your actions um, instead of just kind of passively consuming and allowing it to like wash over you, but not change who you are. I was wondering if anything felt paradoxical to either your initial frameworks as you were going through or Naval's frameworks um, as you were trying to mesh all this different data from all these different contexts. I, I, I imagine there, there must have been times where pieces of advice might have conflicted or conflicted with yourself. Yeah, there's a few. Um, and I think like one of the common you know, you, in doing this at this depth, you come across like plenty of conflicts and you come across criticisms of him and his ideas. So the, the preface and the overarching thing is like, you got to embrace paradox to some extent. Like you, you, not everything in life is black and white and you have to be willing to under, to accept two opposing truths as both being true. Maybe not in a scientific concept context, but in a philosophical context in order to kind of like find peace with both ideas. You know, he, he talks a fair bit about like reducing desires, becoming, you know, monk-like in your ability to control yourself, um, the sort of irrelevance of material success, um, but yet he's incredibly materially successful and like has, I assume, nice things and has built wealth for himself. And so people like tend to well, kind it's of- it's because it's easy to say that you don't need material wealth when you have material wealth. When you taste the sure. thing that most people desire, it's easy to say, oh, like I could have not had that. Yeah. And I think he does a pretty good job resolving that. Um, actually, like in the book, resolving that in saying like, like there's a spectrum of like your relationship to your desires, to your existence. And like, one way is to like one extreme is become a monk and like renounce all possessions. And that's one way to like create a gap between your desires and your reality. The other is to hit that hedonic treadmill, like as hard as you can become as successful as you possibly can, like become a billionaire, founder, famous, whatever. 
but if you are still wanting more than you have, like you will still be unhappy. And so there exists like these two conflicting things, but there's also this huge scale of like how you can manage the relationship between those two things and understanding that those two levers are related and both controllable by you. And as long as, you know, you have a, you're at a, a desire deficit, like to your existence, like you will be happy. So you spend all this time to create this thing. Was it an instant uh, success once it came out uh, or did it take a little bit of time to ramp up uh, steam and, and uh, recognition? Yeah, it was an interesting, it's kind of an interesting process, like going through this for my first book and figuring out how, the, how this all works, like seeing the mechanics of the publishing industry. This is a public kind of project by nature from the first minute. So I was like working through it in public and talking about milestones that I hit and progress. So um, I think we got, we got, by my account, like a pretty strong start. I, I tried to write down like my priors before before we launched. And then like, here's my base case. Here's my bull and bear. And like, um, we're, we're so far into, to your point, like limiting desires. Um, we're so far past like what I set as my bar for being excited and happy and grateful so like i'm i'm uh over the moon about how it's been received and how people have you know the numbers still feel kind of kind of abstract but like hearing can you tell me about some of the numbers the free version is a little hard to track but like well over a million readers of the free version um and are like in the top one percent of books sold it's it's awesome and I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, like given Naval's, um, his, his work is just so awesome and like generally applicable. And I really think like anybody on earth can take away like at least one life changing idea from this. If someone wants to find the book or find more about you, where they can, where can they find you? My kind of home on the internet is ejorgensen.com. All the book stuff, um, including like free versions of the PDF, EPUB, Moby, Kindle, um, and the audiobook are all linked on navalmanac.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, I'm there too much. Um, and I got open DMs or whatever if people want to get in touch with me. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Burkle, Matt Fernandez, Renee B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibada Thrive, and Mecca Shelton. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya, Tiffany Day, Jonathan Wass, and Diana Marie Kandaza. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.